Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Graham. Just before I start speaking on that passage, I want to say a massive thank you to the ensemble. I'm sure you'll join with me. Disappeared, they're all over the place. Uh, It's wonderful uh, every week to have such wonderful musicians leading us. We're coming to that time of year again where uh, there's all kinds of creative things that will be happening with Christmas carols, carol singing, our carols by Candlelighter. And if you even are a slightly bit musical and you would love to be involved in any of those, then please see Dave. Where is he? He's disappeared. There he is. Uh, and he may be able to help you. He's going to uh, bring together uh, all our musical talent in one way or another. But there's many opportunities as well. I want to thank all of the PA guys today. They work tirelessly to make sure that that happens on the screen. And uh, it's a big task. So let's give them a clap as well. Of course, again, if you have a slightly good way of, to like, uh, with wires, I'm useless with wires, useless. They turn me off every time I try and fold one up. Um, but uh, again, if you could be involved in helping make sure this, they're all laughing because I'm useless at it, uh, any of this happen. Uh, Alice is, you know, learning to press buttons really well. Uh, she's learning on the job. We'd love to help you. Uh, these, these guys make this worship celebration happen every Sunday. And we're hugely grateful for the hours that they give to serve. And we'd love to grow those teams. So please, please do get involved and see one of us uh, from the front or the guys at the back. If you think that this is something you could even learn to do uh, to bless our community here. So we're moving back to our five graces of Jesus. I'm just going to move my laptop so I can see what I'm doing. Hundred years ago today, the first great world war ended. This is an image that uh, was featured in the Guardian the day after the war was announced to end. It was a war that changed warfare forever. It was on a different scale than they had ever seen. It was the most publicized war. Stories came back quicker than they had from previous wars. And as a result, the whole of society was changed forever. Millions lost their lives. Just pause. Millions lost their lives. It was a great tragedy. One that sadly was repeated to the extreme not long afterwards in terms of history. And so this week, I've done a bit more research than perhaps I usually would, as I guess I knew I was speaking, but also I wanted just to be able to explain some things to my children. Our schools are doing a great job of educating the next generation. We need to continue to pray for all of those who are educating about this period of time. They're doing a great job. And my children have come home night after night wanting to share what they have learnt or to talk about why these things had happened. So it was great to get to a point on Friday, having wandered through with them a lot about the war, to talk about the fact that the war did end. 
And a hundred years ago today, this was what was written uh, in the Guardian article again, uh, which is just wonderful to read. It reports of the Prime Minister Lloyd George, and it says this, The first instinct on hearing the news was the crowd to take to the seat of government and to Downing Street. It quickly became embedded by an amazingly miscellaneous sample of wartime London. They could not wait. And then Mr. Lloyd George appeared. He came onto the doorstep of number 10, almost as the guns had finished, and stood there with an uplifted head, smiling at the crowd. As soon as he could be heard over the crowd, which I should imagine took time, he said, I'm glad to tell you that the war will be over at 11 o'clock today. He waved his hand, smiled, and disappeared. And then this is what happened in London. The maroon guns that in the bad night of the past beat like blows on a drum of fate announced the news to London at 11 o'clock this morning and it sounded like an overture of rejoicing. The idea of using the maroons came right out of the humorous mind of London. Our once terrible sound became like a huge cock crow chuckling in delight. The guns boomed over the heavy grey sky and everyone knew that for now the last gun had been fired on the home front. Before the sound had died away, though, innumerable people everywhere rushed out of their houses, factories and workshops, and children helter-skeltered from the schools, crying, the war is over. In a few moments, the church bells began, like they had not dared to ring for many years. But on this great day, they burst into confident ringing. Big Ben let himself go, like all London celebrated too. The bells acted like a way of summon, summon, ugh, I can't even speak, summoning a swarm of bees. Looking from the Fleet Street window, it was curious to see how the party rushed out. The crowd gathered momentum in a most extraordinary way. In minutes, there was not an office window without a new flag. There wasn't a school without a banner. The children, each one of them twinkling, had a smile on their face. The celebration was huge because the cost had been so deep. To announce that the war was over was a very significant job. The Prime Minister, just three short words. The war is over and therefore rejoicing broke out. It's worth a little look. Uh, there's a lot online at the moment of these original photographs. This is just one. I could have shown you many, but look at that. Health and safety go mad. The war was over. It had been announced loud and clear and the celebration had begun. Two weeks ago, I was uh, preaching on the five graces, and I left you with an East Ender cliffhanger. I said, there is a link between evangelists and Remembrance Sunday. Nobody has come to me and guessed. So I think that's a good thing, isn't it? Either that or my brain works in a way that yours doesn't. I'm not sure. There is a really clear link, I think, for us today. 
An evangelist in Greek time, when the New Testament was written, this is the Greek word there, evangelists, it was the teller of good news, usually associated with the end of a war. That little Greek word evangelist was a comfortable word for the readers and the uh, people around the time of Paul. They knew what it meant because they had experienced it. It was the one who returned home from war and said, good news, the war is over. Paul stole that word and used that comfortable term to announce Announce the good news. The evangelist is the one who is the teller of the good news of Jesus Christ, that the war is over. What war am I talking about? The war on death, the war on sin, the war that sets us free from the past to live for eternity. The great celebrations at the end of the war that we have just heard about should not be a patch on the celebrations that we should be having as people of God. You're all very quiet. The end of the war on sin and death has been won. Hallelujah. Thank you. I want you just to think back for a moment to that moment where you discovered you were loved by God, perhaps for the first time. Some of us remember it well. Some of us, we have to think back a little bit to when we were younger. Or maybe we were privileged to grow up never doubting that God loves us. That's what my prayer is for my kids. I uh, became a Christian in the middle of the night, all by myself, when I was 16 years old. I remember rushing in and waking my parents up. Um, I did wait till like 6 o'clock in the morning just because that was nice and they probably, well, I think they would have been happy, but I'm not sure. I didn't try. I jumped on them and said, Mom and Dad, I know I'm loved by God. And uh, my mum cooked my favorite meal that day. And six months later, when I was baptized, we had the biggest party ever. Thank you, Mom. She knew that for the first time in my life, I understood that the war over sin and death was won. Wow, think for that moment again. Can you remember the feeling of that celebration of knowing you were free and that war over your life had been won? Paul uses that little phrase to say some of us have the grace of being good news announcers. But actually, as we're going to see in the next 20 minutes, all of us have got that job. For some of us, are called to encourage others in that job. That's the role of an evangelist. And we're going to ask the same five questions as we have of the other graces. What's the key question that an evangelist is asking? What truth are they guarding? What culture are they trying to develop? And where are their blind spots? What do they uh, struggle with? Why can't they see these things? So let's uh, pile in. The key question, I guess, that an evangelist is asking is this. Does everyone, I should have underlined and put in big, everyone know the good news of Jesus Christ? Why does an evangelist wake up in the morning, wakes up to make sure that everybody knows the good news of Jesus Christ? An evangelist has been so captivated by Jesus themselves that they can do nothing more than live to share that good news. 
They've been so captivated themselves by a love of God that they can do nothing more than live to share that love with other people. It's something that's so in them. They cannot help but share it. Everything comes back to the good news of Jesus for them. I can imagine in those early days of the First World War being over, it was all anyone talked about. It's done. It's done. It would have been a celebration with remembering the cost. Communion for us is exactly that, isn't it? A celebration of what Jesus has done whilst remembering the cost. An evangelist remembers the cost of Jesus dying for themselves and therefore cannot do anything other than announce that good news. Acts begins with these words uh, in Acts 8. This is Jesus. You will receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus again in Matthew 28 says, Go to the ends of the earth and make disciples, telling them about the good news that is Jesus Christ. As an evangelist, there is a passionate zeal uh, that they must share the good news. A passionate zeal. And it's for everybody. To the ends of the earth. I'd like you with the person next to you for a moment to share what it means to you to be found by Jesus. And if you can't do that, that's absolutely fine. I'd like you to share a moment when you were lost and you got found. For example, my husband's useless at map reading, which is why he married me. We got lost in the Peak District uh, and the relief we felt when we found a light in a village in the Peak District with a sign was miraculous. What does it mean for you to be found? Just share for a moment. Just another 30 seconds. When we were found in the Peak District, we were on the way to a wedding. We were a little stressed because we were supposed to be there for the night before rehearsal when we were late. When we arrived at that wedding rehearsal, everybody very quickly knew that we'd been lost and it was all my husband's fault. I was an evangelist about how rubbish his map reading was. When you are found, you want to share that with everyone. You want to share that with everyone. And an evangelist's heartbeat is to encourage other people to know that they are found. And so they ask five questions, and it comes out of this place of being completely captivated by Christ. They are completely themselves understanding what it means to be found. And out of that, therefore, comes an overflowing to tell others They need to get it out there. But the unique thing about evangelists that perhaps not all of us understand is it becomes quite a heavy burden sometimes. I remember taking some young people to Soul Survivor a few years ago, and there was one young lady who at the end of the service said, I need to go for a walk by myself. So off she wandered. She appeared with me about an hour later in a lot of tears. And I said, 
you know, what, what happened, thinking that there might be something really bad that had happened in her life. And she just said, God overwhelmed me as I worshipped with a burden for my friends. And we shared together, and it was obvious she was an evangelist. She said, I feel so compelled to tell them about Jesus because they're so lost. They're so lost, Claire. And it was obvious how she felt. She was in floods of tears. She felt the burden of the good news of Jesus. And, and she felt so compelled. But it wasn't a comfortable place. Do you get me? Uh, and that young lady went and began to see you at her school. And it was an awesome honor to see that happen. An evangelist is asking, how can I make sure everyone knows the good news. And therefore, they are a, a guardian of the truth. And the passage that we had read to us uh, is an evangelist's favorite passage. You see, the evangelist is a guardian of the lost and found department of our church. Of our church family, they believe that they are the guardians that, of this truth that lost people need to be found. Lost people need to be found. They're driven completely by their love for Jesus, their love for people. In fact, it's so hard to remove those two because they're so interconnected. The same uh, coin, but two different sides, perhaps. Their love for Jesus leads them to feel like they are guardians of the truth, that lost people need to be found. And so that passage in Luke 15 uh, is a dream for an evangelist. I mean, I could have jumped out of my seat as Graham was reading it. Should have, perhaps. Sorry, Graham. The rejoicing of heaven when the sheep was found. I tell you in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. And so it goes on. The lost sheep being found, the lost coin being found, the lost son returning to the home of his father's embrace. Lost people being found leads to a rejoicing evangelist. It compels them. It's something that they cannot escape. And therefore, evangelists are often found where lost people are. They would rather be in a bar than a Bible study. They are more comfortable hanging out with non-Christians than perhaps Christians. They love being with lost people. Paul puts it like this. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 23. The end is on the screen. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I have become like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself are not under the law, as to win those who are under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one who does not have the law, although I am not free from God's law, but under Christ's law. As to win those who are having the law, to the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all of this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings." Paul, one of the greatest evangelists ever and the greatest teacher, says, I'm hanging out with as many lost people and I am doing whatever I can so that they can find the love of God. That's an evangelist's heart. 
And so what kind of culture do they create? Well, they create a family full of missional zeal and worship. Evangelists too often feel like they don't have a place within the church family. That's so not true, and I'll I'll talk about that more under the blind spots. You see, a true evangelist is, is not just called to reach the lost on their own. They're called to be part of a family and to influence those who have been found. If you think about the story that we read in Luke chapter 15 of the lost sheep, the shepherd makes sure that the 99 are okay, you know, they're there, and then it goes out, finds the lost, and then brings it back to the, she- uh, to the sheep, to the other sheep. And then there's a celebration all together. An evangelist is called to be so much part of this family that it encourages everybody to be full of missional zeal. An evangelist is not only called to reach the lost, it is called to influence the found. Let's think of uh, some examples of this, perhaps. What would an evangelist look like in a church? They're the ones who are always the spiritual conscience that pushes us out. Now, you'll recognize this little triangle that we use a lot around here, that we need to be um, people who balance our up relationship with God, me and God, and our worshiping relationship with God. We need to be people who are involved in God's family, but we always need to be driven by our out, our love for sharing the good news of Christ, that the battle has been won. Our out is so important. And the evangelists are the ones that are often just saying, okay, so what does that mean for the rest of Ipswich? What does that mean for your neighbor? What does that mean for the people at the school gate? They're always encouraging us to be driven by the out. And that is a great thing. It's a wonderful thing. Because we are called to be good news to everyone. Evangelists are always the ones who are saying, what can we do for this lost world? Evangelists are often worship leaders. They're often in our worship teams because they've been so captivated by Christ that they can do nothing other than worship, which then spurs them to go out. Worship is our our first response to the awesome good news that the battle's been won. But then often they feel led because of being captivated by God to go out and find lost people. So there are some blind spots. Now, be kind to me. I am an out evangelist. So in coffee, be nice to me and encourage me in my blind spots, please. And if you know any other evangelists, keep encouraging them as well. Because evangelists have one, uh, four blind spots I'm going to bring you. But this one's quite important. They can often try and oversell Jesus. What do I mean by that? Now, obviously, Jesus is the answer to everything. Okay. But evangelists are very, very convinced that the early impressions or even first impressions are so important They want to portray God as a loving, good, saving, transformational deity. In doing that, sometimes the message of sacrifice, of sin, and of the fact that this cost of following Jesus can be high can get lost because we're presenting Jesus in the way we want people to see him rather than the truth of him. 
And this is something I've had to learn again and again because I'm desperate for my friends to love Jesus like I do. But I also have to present the cost of following Jesus and hold that in balance. Don't hear me wrong. Following Jesus transforms everything, absolutely everything. But there is a cost to following Jesus. And if we don't share the cost of following Jesus, then we're producing really, really um, young Christians who don't ever get deep roots. Because when something comes along that's hard, then they are knocked because their belief in Jesus is not for the hard times as well as the good. Now, I resisted putting this one for a while, but I had to. Evangelists like to be liked. Thank you, you like me. Oh, thanks, Jane. I like you too, so we're all right. But they do. Because they're relational capital, because they long for relationships, they long for people to know Jesus, they do like to be liked. And therefore, when, when they're not liked, or when they say something that is hard for someone, then they take it quite personally. That can be quite hard for an evangelist. Therefore, conflict can be quite hard. Lasting friendships can be quite hard because they carry the burden so much they want to share Jesus. And sometimes that message is not received. Sometimes that message is not received. There's another uh, one which is actually quite common. We've talked about this under all of the graces, haven't we? That uh, they don't always recognize the need for other graces. Hopefully you're hearing me that all graces have to have a missional aspect. We're all called to go and share the good news of Jesus. But the evangelists have got a specific role of encouraging all of us to be people who go after the lost. Shepherds must love the flock, but they also need to love the lost. Prophets have a voice in the family, but also a voice in society. Uh, Teachers must be really good at teaching the flock, absolutely, but they also have a responsibility to teach those who are coming to Jesus too. Uh, We need those people who are going to take baby Christians and teach them the good news through the Bible. An evangelist's role is to release all graces to be missional rather than just ignoring the other graces and plowing off in their own path. Sometimes evangelists can be uh, hurt and go off and try and do things on their own or get frustrated that it's not happening quick enough and go and try and do things on their own. That's not what an evangelist is called to do. They're about the flock and about the lost, the lost and the found. And therefore, they do try and do it alone. Evangelists should never go out alone. Think of how Jesus did it. He sent out the 12 and then the 72 in twos and threes. Jesus knew that an evangelist was about lost and influencing the found. And therefore, an evangelist today needs to never try and do things alone, but to encourage the flock to do it with them. So, there we have it. Over the last three sermons, we've looked at all of the five graces. We've thought about the stay and grow ones in the last three weeks. So the shepherd, the teacher, the evangelist. And uh, a few weeks before that, we thought about the apostle and the prophet. And we called those the start and go graces. If a church family is to become healthier and healthier and healthier then we need to see all of these graces working beautifully together. 
We need to be a community that is an outbursting of God's kingdom. And to do that, we've got to encourage each other in all of the graces, in all of the ways we can. Not one of us is more significant than the other. We've all got a huge part to play in the kingdom of God. But even more than that, if one of these graces is missing in our community, we will not be healthy. And we will not be able to serve as the family of God that God is asking of us to do. Because all are needed. Simon talked about it being a puzzle. And the joy of finding that last piece going in. All of us are a puzzle piece that have a part to play. All of us are a grace, a gift to this church. All of us have got a part to play so that we can become healthy in being the kingdom of God and expanding the kingdom of God. That's such an important message for us all to hear. We're all needed. We're all needed. If we head back to thinking about uh, Remembrance Sunday, an army without generals is lost. But a general without followers is lost. We all need each other because there is still a waging battle for God's kingdom. The victory has been won. We only need to look around the world and see that the ripplings of sin are still holding our world. Together as God's people, let's declare that the victory is won. And to do that, all of these graces need to work together. Let's just have a moment of silence and and say to God, God, what are you saying to me today? What are you saying to me? As I've heard these sermon today or perhaps over even the last few, what are you saying to me? What are you encouraging in me? What, What are you trying to say to me? Let's have a moment of silence as we listen in to what God's got for us. Lord, I want to thank you for every person sat in this room. I want to thank you for every person connected to our family of Burlington, for those upstairs with the children, for those who can't be here today, but who very much belong to this family, for those who meet through the week I want to thank you for everyone because together you've called us. Together you've gifted us. Together you've given to us so many different things. For some are called teachers and some are called prophets. Some are called shepherds. Some are called evangelists. And some are called apostles. You've gifted each of us with grace, with different types of graces, of course, but with one purpose, so that lost people may be found and that the found may become a family. So Lord, I pray for the person on my left and the person on my right, the person sat behind me and in front. And Lord, we ask your blessing on them Together we are called to follow you and to make you known. And as we worship now, we ask that you meet with us, that you stir in us again the grace that you have given us. 
that you help us hear your voice on how we can play our part for your kingdom so that others may come to know of your love and that this family may grow strong. Let's stand together and use the words of this song. King of kings, majesty, God of heaven living in me, I lay my all before you now. Let's continue uh, uh, to listen to God as we sing this together.